and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Uh, we follow the, the uh, church calendar here at Springbrook, and, and we do that on purpose. And it matters that we talk about it because we're trying to instill something in us, in our bones, uh, in our guts. We, um, and so by following the church calendar, it means I keep telling everyone Happy New Year, but technically in the church calendar, it's not New Year, it's Epiphany. Um, the new year for the church begins in Advent. So it goes all through the season of Advent. And then we have Christmas, which is 12 days long, 12 days of Christmas, which means if you're taking down your Christmas tree today, you are correct. Right, And if you took it down earlier, uh, you can now tell your Catholic mother that you took it down today. So it'll be fine. Um, But we get 12 days of Christmas. We should use those for all that they're worth. Um, And then we move from Christmas uh, into Epiphany. It's it's, it's a new season. We're we're leaving a season of, of introspection and anticipation. And we're moving into a different season, a season of celebration and illumination and revelation. Um, and then after Epiphany uh, comes Lent, and then Eastertide, and then Pentecost, and then Ordinary Time, which takes forever. Um, but these, <laughs> each of these seasons have their own distinct gifts. They have their own distinct practices and focuses and uh, purposes. And so sometimes I get asked uh, why we follow the, the liturgical calendar, the church calendar here at Springbrook. We aren't Catholic or Episcopalian or Lutheran. It's not a vineyard thing. It's not a vineyard value. Um, but I think uh, the reason we do it, my answer is that I think that the church calendar is a gift that goes beyond denominations. Uh, the calendar, like the lectionary, the lectionary are chosen texts all throughout the year that churches all over the world share. Um, they, these things, they act like train tracks, that they, they, they take us, train tracks that we can follow, taking us to the places that God has been taking his people since the beginning of time. Uh, that's what they're based on. They're based on the very beginning of the scriptures, and they have uh, continued for hundreds and hundreds of years post, post-Christ. So um, that's why we do it. Um, is that we want to follow these train tracks. We want to, to allow them to guide us. I've used this example uh, quite a bit talking about this, but the calendar for us, I think, acts like the back line of the band. So Andrew Webb and Andrew Cochran, some of our favorite Andrews in all of the world, um, they, they keep songs on track, right? They keep the music on track. The calendar acts very much how they act during uh, uh, worship. They, the bass and the drums have the ability to offer like this low hum and this rhythm uh, that keep things steady. And I think the calendar does that for us. It offers a, a low hum and a rhythm to keep things steady uh, in our lives. So I want to talk a little bit more specifically about uh, the Epiphany season and the celebration of Epiphany. Um, It is an ancient season, and it's one of fasting. I said celebration. Celebration is code word in the scriptures for fasting, um, which means that Epiphany is a dinner party season. So if you're feeling that, that's good. Like, uh, throw some dinner parties. It's a a celebratory season um, where we celebrate the word of God getting out into the world. 
Um, essentially, epiphany means to reveal or to make something visible. Uh, quite literally, the word epiphany means to shine through. That's what this season is, is it's making Jesus uh, go from a baby to a man, allowing him to be visible, allowing him to shine through. And so for the church, Epiphany is a celebratory season full of this. It's a season about God being visible in the world. Uh, it's a season about the revelation of God in Christ, the visible image of God in Christ. Thank you. I had a voice uh, I didn't have a voice like 10 minutes ago. So you're witnessing a miracle first off. And thank you, Jamie. Um, Cause it could go at any moment. And then I'm going to pick one of you to come up here and read this. Uh, so, okay. So where, where was I? Uh, so this season, it's about God being visible in the world. It's, it's revelation of God in Christ. It's the visible image of God in Christ. It is the God who shines through his son, Jesus into a weary uh, world. So uh, for us, the season of epiphany means that we are going to intentionally, meaning on purpose, like with thoughtful purpose, uh, turn our eyes in a fresh way to the stories of Jesus. Uh, we will visit uh, old stories and look at them with new light. Uh, and we'll visit these old stories in hope, uh, in hope for and in expectation of new insights to come about who God is and what he's about through his son, through seeing who his son is and, and who his son is about. I, I think I say this every single year, but my favorite way to describe epiphany in the church is that it is a season to have new eyes on familiar stories. Um, I have learned a lot in this job. I call myself the least likely, it's hilarious that Johnny said reverend. I think that's the first time anyone's ever said that. I don't think that's true. But anyway, um, but I've learned so much in this job because it was a very unexpected thing for me. Um, but one of the things that, that I've learned that rises to the surface probably more than anything else in the world is that as I encounter people and uh, lead and pastor people and as I encounter God, I've learned this, that, that God very much wants to be known. He doesn't just want to be believed in, he wants to be known. And I think uh, evangelicalism is, is filled with so many people who believe a lot of things about God, but don't actually know him or have never taken the time to like intimately learn and know him. And so that is my hope for us this year, uh, particularly in the next few weeks, but, um, but beyond, is for us to take this idea seriously, uh, to set aside the space in, in our hearts and in our minds and in our homes and in our lives uh, to, to not just uh, create more things for us to believe about God, but to spend time continuing to get to know God to know him intimately, to learn uh, who he is and how he moves and what he's up to in a way that allows us to see it and, and allows us the courage to join into what he's doing. Uh, and I don't think that there is a better place in all of the world to figure out who God is more than looking at Jesus. Uh, Bill Johnson, uh, who is occasionally brilliant, and he says he calls Jesus God's perfect theology. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is up to, look at Jesus. If you want to know where he is and how he works and what he loves, look at Jesus. So that's what we'll do. We'll do it for the next few weeks and we're gonna do it today. Um, we'll we'll uh, turn now to our story that Chris just read us from Matthew, uh, where it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. 
About that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is this newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. So Jesus is born, and uh, the ruler Herod gets some visitors. Uh, And the visitors are wise men from the east. They're often called kings, the three kings, or the magi, the magicians. Um, And those words work, but they're not. um, From my research, I don't think they're the most perfect words for who these guys are. Um, uh, I I think that these guys are really a group of, uh, I read someone who wrote it this way, Persian mystic scientists. They are uh, these like pagan priests of the stars. Uh, I like this description best of all. Eugene Peterson calls the wise men uh, a band of scholars from the East. Uh, Most likely these men uh, were from current day Iraq or Iran or possibly South Turkey, North Syria, somewhere uh, in the Middle East. There there are scholars though that believe that the three wise men are um, uh, representatives of the three known continents of the world at the time. So one representing Africa, one representing Asia, one representing Europe. Um, and it's likely that they were less king and more scientists, uh, scientists in the, the field of astronomy. These are men who found many of life's answers uh, that they were looking for in their lives could be found by paying close attention uh, to the sky, to the planets, to the stars, to dreams. And so what brings them to Jesus is um, not an announcement, it's not words, it's, it's the sky, They tell Herod what brings him to Jesus is a star, some sort of phenomenon in the sky, some sort of supernatural thing happening in the stars that was so distinct to them, they had to go figure it out. And listen, if you do a deep dive on this, there are all kinds of theories out there as to what they actually uh, saw um, that drew them to Bethlehem. Uh, Some say it was uh, like Halley's Comet or a supernova or uh, Pope Benedict used to argue that (laughs) that Saturn and Jupiter moved in together toward the earth and that's what drew the scholars to Bethlehem. I have no idea. I I am not an astronomer or a scientist. You now know everything I know about the planets. Except I think is Pluto not one or Uranus? Somebody's not one anymore. You know, I mean, I'm not a scientist. Um, And it seems Matthew wasn't either because Matthew simply tells us in his gospel that the men saw a star that symbolized the birth of a king and they made their way to a little tiny town to find him. Uh, We can study the history of this and the phenomena of this. and, And I think it's incredibly interesting and I think you should do it. But But when it comes to fresh revelation or like a spiritual teaching from this, I I think um, more than it lies in what exactly they saw, I think the lesson, uh, the fresh revelation lies in this idea. Uh, This band of scholars, uh, they were actively looking for something mysterious. Like they were actively open and looking for mysterious things. They were actively looking and waiting for something beyond themselves to enlighten them and uh, to give them fresh insight or fresh revelation. And like so, 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 so many stories in the scripture, uh, God takes that expectation in them, that hope in them, that openness towards something bigger than themselves in them, and he engages it. And he inserts himself right into the middle of it. And he draws them toward his son, through it. Okay, back to our band of scholars. They're open to the mystery which God uses and God engages. Uh, 
And I think part of the reason for their openness is a word um, that Christian tradition has used um, or Christian faith describes people like these guys and uh, they use the word mystics. Um, uh, and here's the truth. Uh, Christian tradition has been built on the backs of the, or the, honestly, the brains and the hearts of mystics. People who are open to the mysterious, open to something a little bit different. People like John the Baptist who ate bugs in the wilderness, right? People like John the Apostle. It's, it's people all throughout history, like the desert mothers and the desert fathers. Uh, so many of the saints that we love and talk about often here, Augustine or um, one that I've loved this year is uh, Bernard of Clairvaux. There's Teresa of Avila, Ignatius. We talk about him all the time, Anselm. Uh, another big one for me this year is a guy named Brother Lawrence, who is a, a, a mystic who found the simplicity of the presence of God everywhere. Uh, mystics, they're, they're great teachers and thinkers. Um, the mathematician Blaise Pascal, the poet uh, Rilke, C.S. Lewis, Tolkien, Nowen, Mother Teresa, Thomas Merton, Richard Foster, Frederick Beekner, Barbara Brown Taylor, Stan Sharp, Eugene, or Andrew Peterson, Eugene Peterson. I would argue John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard. Mystics are everywhere. And they are, um, they are bands of scholars who exist on the fringes of quote-unquote normal. Often they're thought of as crazy or sort of on the outside, but mystics, they have been crucial to awakening the faith of so many people, uh, me included. Ruth Haley Barton describes a mystic Christian like this. She says, mystics are open and responsive to the mystery of God in Christ and strange revelations of how God chooses to work in the world. They are those who really believe what we say we believe, that God is real, that God is mystery, and that God can be encountered in the depths of our being and in our world. Uh, these wise men, they found Jesus because they followed mystery, a supernatural revelation that, that God, God gave them that led, him to his son, led them to his son. And I think that there is some wisdom uh, in this, uh, in allowing this idea to rumble in us a little bit at the beginning of the year. That maybe uh, fresh insight or fresh revelation will come to us out of places like this. Uh, an openness to encounters with the mysterious, an openness uh, with encounters of uh, the supernatural. That is how God moves and still works in the world. As, as vineyard people, I, I think we're very well set up for this because one of the crucial values of the Vineyard Church all over the world is a belief that God still does wild and phenomenal and supernatural things in order to reveal more of Jesus in this world. And so I really hope this year that we will not just believe about God, but to get to know the mystery of him. And part of that knowing, I think, will come from, from learning to uh, really believe what we say we believe, that he is real that he is mystery, and that he can be encountered in the depths uh, and, and, and in our being all over the world, that it can happen anywhere. Uh, I have a preaching hero. Her name is Ashley Matthews, and she's in Arkansas. And she says this, and I love it. I've said it before. She said, uh, the God who made our brains reserves the right to use them to surprise us. I love that. The God who made our brains reserves the right to use them to surprise us. Okay. So the mystical band of scholars, they see the phenomenon, they see the star, they're open to mystery, but I think that what they do after they see it is also worth noting. 
Uh, This story isn't just about being open and noticing a phenomenal view of God uh, because they don't just see it, they also follow it. They don't just see a star, they follow the star toward Jesus. And the star, it leads them to Bethlehem and, and to the Christ child and to his family. And, and, and when, they find, when they find them, they stop and they enter in and they worship and they, they give gifts. It's not uh, just a star, not just a phenomenon, not just a supernatural work or a miracle, uh, but worship and service and knowing. And then they go home by another way. Their experience with Jesus is so substantial that they change course. That the way they were going, they, they don't go anywhere. Remember, they're supposed to go back to Herod and tell him what they find. But their experience with Jesus is so radical that, that it changes the course of their journey. It changes um, maybe the course of their lives. This, this has been kind of the gem of, of the, the three wise men for me this year. Is, is that their revelation and their experience with Jesus means that it changes directions for them. Uh, I think that's a word. I think that's a word uh, for us. For some of us, I think epiphany will mean changing directions. I think we should expect that, a a course change, a course correction, and and, an alteration. So it's really uh, those two simple things that that I would love for us to keep our eyes on for the next few weeks. Uh, An openness to the mystery of God to allowing him to surprise us with new revelation and fresh perspective, to illuminate places in us that have felt dark or shadowed or um, hard to see through. And that as we do that, as we follow the, or we uh, see the illuminating work of God, that we would follow it, that we would make room for that illuminating work to send us home by another way. Room to change course or change direction or change thought. To create or shift or change in us our plans or our thinking or our, our faith maybe in some way. Okay, I want to touch on one more thing today, a really quick teaching, and then um, we're going to move to Selah. Um, but I want to teach you an epiphany practice. Some of you uh, may know this or you've done this with us uh, before, but it's an epiphany practice that all of us uh, can do. It's, it's one of the ways that we can, um, we can do this either literally or symbolically. It doesn't matter, but I think it'd be really fun if we all did it literally. Um, uh, so, so this practice originated in Europe in like the Middle Ages, so hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and it's a practice called chalking the door. Anybody know it? Okay, a few of you. Um, chalking the door. If you've never heard of this practice, Google it. I'm saying chalk. Does that make sense? I don't, I'm hearing my own voice and it's like, are you saying words? I don't know. Um, okay, uh, Google it, chalking the door. Um, some of you remember we did it during COVID uh, when we couldn't all be together, we did this practice together. But um, chalking the door is a practice uh, that acts as a year-long reminder to uh, recenter and realign our hearts to allow Christ to do exactly the things that we're talking about. It uh, acts like a reminder to to be open to a fresh perspective, to be open to new illumination from God, uh, to be uh, open to the blessing of a a course change or a perspective change through him in a new year. Um, We talk a lot around here about inviting our bodies to join what our minds and hearts are actually doing. That's that's usually the work of a spiritual practice, and that's absolutely the work of this, to uh, connect something in our bodies to what's happening in our hearts and mind. Um, So here's how it works. 
Uh, here's kind of the background. Um, it, it comes from the story in the Old Testament uh, when during the Exodus, God's people uh, marked their doors with the blood of a lamb in order to symbolize that they belong to God. Um, and don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to go home and put blood on your door. Actually, actually, please don't. That feels like um, not how I want people to know our church. Um, why'd you put blood on your door? You should come to my church. You know, I, I think not. I'll come with the police. Um, Sorry, detour. Um, Okay, Uh, so I'm not going to ask that. Instead, um, what the people of God have done for hundreds and hundreds of years is um, mirrored this symbol of blood on the door by marking their doors with chalk. And you do it either on top of the door frame or around the door frame um, of of the door, the main door into your house or into your room or, uh, you know, into whatever space you spend a lot of time in. Um, And so instead of, uh, we're going to symbolize our belonging to God, much like the Israelites did, but with chalk instead of blood and with blessing instead of desperation. Although some of you may be long, like desperate for a blessing, um, Most often this is done on January 5th, so we're a day late, but that's fine because we're the vineyard and we're always running a little bit late. Um, So here's what you do. On your way home, grab some chalk from like the Dollar General or Kroger or whatever. Also, if you go to Kroger, you should grab a king cake while you're there to make it a party. Um, I need to stay on note. Um, (laughs) Okay, so what you're gonna do, you're gonna grab some chalk and then uh, you are going to write a blessing on the top of your doorframe again or or on the doorframe or of any place where you spend a lot of time where you will see it on a regular basis. And you can get really creative with this. Um, Like uh, it does not have to be literal chalk on your doorframe. That's that's what we do at our house and I love it, but that may not be what you do. Um, There are other ways you can do it as well. Um, you can chalk your phone background. I keep seeing people write like their word for the year on Instagram. And I'm like, that's chalking your phone. Like you can make your phone background. You can put a card on the dashboard of your car. You could make a bracelet. You could put a post it on your mirror or the refrigerator, uh, put a post on your computer, um, do something. At work. Uh, uh, we, when we did this a few years ago, uh, Miranda Thomas was teaching actually at this school and she made a sign for the top of her classroom uh, that, that was chalking her door. So um, you all are creative people. I just feel like you can figure out how this works out, but uh, put something somewhere that you see it and write on that a blessing. That's the only requirement is, uh, of this practice is to write a blessing. I'm gonna tell you a traditional one in just a minute, but you don't have to do that. You can write whatever it is that the Holy Spirit gives you. If it's a verse, if it's a word, if it's a specific prayer or blessing, heck, you can write, just write the word epiphany on there. That would be fine. It doesn't matter what you write. What matters is that you write something that does two things. That you write something that reminds you that you belong to God and that reminds you that, that God wants you to not just believe things about him, but to know him. So traditionally, uh, Dave, will you throw the slide up there? Uh, traditionally, the church has, has this is the traditional uh, epiphany chalking, is that the church has written the letters C and B uh, in between the current calendar year. So like, maybe you don't get a tattoo of this. This is like a yearly thing. I mean, I don't care, do whatever you want. Um, but, you would write CMB in between uh, the calendar year. And here's why. It has two meanings. Um, do what? CMB. Is it wrong? 
Oh, it's B. You know what? I was telling Johnny the letters when he was writing this, and I sound like this. So nobody can say, it's B, not P, sorry. B. Um, Okay, it means two things. Uh, One is uh, uh, these letters are believed to be the names of the three wise men, as scholars have named them. Uh, Their names are Caspar, Malchior, and Balthazar. So C-M-B, Caspar, uh, Malchior, and Balthazar. Uh, The second meaning of these letters uh, is an abbreviation for a Latin phrase, which is um, Christus mens, wait, hold on, Christus mansonium, Benedicat. Let me try it again. Christus Mansonium Benedicat. And it means uh, Christ bless this house or Christ bless this dwelling. So CMB. So if you want to do that, write this. Uh, 20 CMB 24. If you do a P, I think God will know what you mean. Like it will be fine. You can make up a nickname for Benedictus or whatever, or Balthazar, whatever his name is. Um, Or you can write any of the other things I said. Again, it doesn't matter what you write. It's just something to remind you to accept the blessing of God in your life. Uh, To know him and be known by him. To remind you this year to explore mystery. To be open to fresh hope and fresh revelation and fresh perspective. Or a change in course. So here's what I want to do for Selah. The band can come on up. Um, I want to practice this here in this room uh, for us. I want to, to pray blessing on our space and pray uh, blessing uh, on our church. So usually Selah is a really introspective kind of personal moment and 99.9% of the time that's what it will be. But today I wanna uh, allow Selah to be a more communal moment, uh, something that we do all together. And so what I wanna do is I wanna, we're gonna leave the letters up here and we'll just leave them up here for all of um, uh, Selah and you'll imagine it's a B. Um, And I wanna ask you to pray for two things. Uh, The first is, uh, would you pray for this space, like the space that we use for what happens here on Sundays, but what also happens here all throughout the week? Um, And would you uh, take some time and ask God to bless and keep this space um, uh, for safety here, for God's delight here, for his light and presence to linger here all throughout the week, to enable kids to learn and feel safe and, and less lonely and loved and all of the things. Um, and then the second thing is I would love to ask you to pray uh, for God to bless and keep our church, which meets here, but exists far beyond uh, these walls. And so will you pray for fresh perspective and direction for our church, for our people and their people, for our staff and our leaders and our volunteers and our kids and all the things. So pray for the space and pray for the church. And we'll just take a few minutes to do that. Sound good? Okay, I'll get us started. And then you can pray in your seat. So God, will you bless us and keep us this year? Will you make your face shine on us? this year. I pray that you would lift the light of your countenance upon us, your presence upon us. Illuminate us with your presence in the space and in us. And through that, would you fill us and it with peace. Peace now and peace forever. Amen.